0: Hey, it's America's Supermom. Thank you for joining me on my podcast. This series is the Corona Chronicles. I created this so that we would have an outlet of positivity in the midst of a lot of negativity. You know what I'm talking about. All the news, the fear around this virus, um, how it can affect us, um, what the new normal is looking like, and how so many things have changed that a lot of people feel like um, it is the end of the world, so to speak. So this podcast was created so that those of us who have hope, who are willing to move forward with this new normal and uh, innovate new things that will help us to be creative and positive positive. That is what this platform is for, for us to come together and share that positivity and that light with those who may need it. So if you're interested in sharing your insight, please reach out because we can never have enough positive news. So sit back and enjoy the show.
1: I want to thank you guys for joining me today. I'm really excited about my next guest. Louis Gonzalez. We were able to um, get connected through Elaine, who is a mutual friend of ours, Elaine Jacques, and uh, really excited to have a conversation with Lewis today. We um, have been together on a Zoom call, and so just really able to connect and see uh, different things that we have in common in terms of mindset and Uh, Just being able to pivot and move uh, forward in a positive way in lieu of, you know, just the current landscape of the current events with uh, everything with this pandemic to racial uh, injustice, just a number of things that were like a breath of fresh air being able to communicate and exchange a very uh, interesting dialogue over some of these topics. so. Hmm. I'm excited to have him with me today. And at this time, I'm gonna give him the opportunity to introduce himself before we get dive into the interview.
2: Thank you, Lachelle. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, As you mentioned, I'm Luis Mm -hmm. and I'm calling, uh, speaking to you from San Diego, California. I'm a second -hmm. second generation Mexican American of uh, grandparents walked across the border from Mexico and began to pick all the fruits and vegetables that are grown here. And you've probably heard similar stories, here we are. So I'm the second generation here, born and raised in California, and I've traveled the world, lived a lot of places. Uh, The the majority of my youth were uh, spent, uh, as you and I had discussed in Compton, California, which gave me a really, I'm very thankful for the background that I grew up in and uh, traveled around the world, lived around the world. Um, Mexico, Brazil, and India in in particular. India happens to be one of my favorite places. And I've worked for some high-end organizations uh, professionally, Microsoft, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, Marriott Hotels, and some others. And I am just, I don't know how to sum it up, but on the human side of things, I'm just, gosh, dedicated to just being the best person I can be. And sometimes I fail myself and I pick myself back up and keep going. So that that's kind of a brief summary of, uh, of me.
1: Yes, awesome. And I think one of the things that really intrigued me about our first uh, conversation is the array of Um, combinations that you have within your immediate family in terms of culture, Mm -hmm. you know, and this just was, is so shocking because so many of us look at people and we just assume that we can just write their own script, so to speak, (laughs) you know what I mean? You look at them and it's like, oh, okay, you know, you're second generation Mexican-American, all right. And think we know the story, but yeah. tell everybody a little bit of insight about, you know, what your family dynamic is. like. Yeah,
2: sure. Uh, Keyword you used assumption. And when we don't know the whole story, we make up stories to fill in the blank.
0: Mm-hmm. So that happens
2: all the time. But uh, as I mentioned, from a Mexican-American background, um, now my father's Mexican-American, my mother's Caucasian. So I'm half mm-hmm. Um Without going into too much detail, there's not much to say on my mother's side of the family because she was basically disowned back in those days when she married my dad, who was Mexican-American. My grandfather on my mother's side didn't believe in mixed marriages. Um, So I I come from a biracial, I guess you could say, background, um, and I was raised in a city called Compton, California, which... Uh, In my early childhood was just a typical average, I don't know, everyday kind of suburban neighborhood. Things changed uh, pretty dramatically in the 60s. And in that time period, my parents got divorced and both of my parents remarried African-American spouses. So my mother, who's Caucasian, married an African-American man who I called dad, who basically raised me from the time I was five till the time I left the house at 18 as my stepfather. My father, mm-hmm. who I also call dad, ends <laughs> very close with, uh, married an African-American woman. So bring it up to speed to this day, the current uh, time period we're in and all that. It's just, to me, I'm very grateful uh, that I have the background I do growing up in a multicultural environment, uh, having a Spanish mm-hmm. last name and mostly identifying as, an, as a Mexican-American my looks however aren't the typical whatever that means typical mexican look i look i don't know people have called me italian greek persian i look mediterranean i guess so people are you know there's that assumption people will assume what i am and growing up in compton uh as the demographic demographics changed from predominantly white to mostly black with a lot of latino then this whole question of identity came into play and Uh, What was I and what people what did people identify me as and how was I compartmentalized? But, you know, one thing I think we discussed uh, in our previous discussion was I'm very thankful for both of my parents who instilled in me and my brothers and sisters uh, that at the end of the day, it boils down to human connection and how people treat you, not what their skin color is and having grown up in an environment that was multiracial, multicultural, I don't want to say I was colorblind because I wasn't. And of course we were aware of things, but gosh, as a kid growing up in a mixed neighborhood, it was just all fun and games and harmonious and every, you know, it takes a village. All of our parents were parents of all of us and all of that. And so when we come Mm into what's happening now into the conversation on the, you know, on the, uh, on the stage in the United States here anyway, regarding race, have an interesting perspective and and uh, experiences. And again, I'm just really uh, thankful that I was raised the way I was in the environment that I was, because it helps me navigate, the, I think, the conversations that are taking place right now that for some people are very difficult.
1: Mm-hmm. So true. Now, so what do you think in terms of, the way you grew up you know you don't you just say a typical neighborhood you know uh I, you weren't colorblind you did notice different color but what do you think maybe changed in terms of the way you were raised with that village mentality and all that that makes it a little bit different for some people today to kind of embrace you know our differences
2: you know, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what has changed. And to go back to that time period, even though, you know, in my, let's say, eight year old, nine, ten year old mind, it might have been mm-hmm. from my perspective, harmonious and no issues and all that. But, you know, when you look back historically, white flight was happening and there was a lot of racial tension in the world at that time in 1968 and 69, or at least in the United States. So what has changed, right. you know, what has changed? I, I can't really say, I don't know what has changed. That's a really good question. Um, all I know is that the values that those, I'll call them the parents, the Latino parents, the black parents, the, the white parents, mm-hmm. and anyone else that I can think of, they, we all shared the same values. And mm-hmm. I don't know if the values have changed 40, 50 years later, perhaps, by society at large? I, I don't know, that's a good question. And I don't know, Lachelle, if I can even answer that. What is What changes have taken place? What's, well, the way I describe it to my nieces and my nephews who are in their early to mid 20s, when they ask, you know, what was it like, you know, back then in the 60s and the 70s, you know, growing up in Compton and, you know, only having five television channels and, you know, telephones hanging on the kitchen wall. What was it like, you know? The best way I describe it is, And this is just my context. This is my perspective. Someone may completely disagree with me. They may have had a different experience, but it just seemed like things were happier and nicer and more polite back then. Mm. And it seems like now things are louder, angrier, faster, in your face. I don't know if that makes any sense the way I'm describing it. Um, definitely because that's what i remember growing you know what i mean just, <laughs> you know, things were nicer yeah lighter things weren't so fast and now it's just mm-hmm. like whoa so that is a change i think that may yeah i think that's one mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah yeah and it you know it's really hard because you know it's like um y- you have the lens of maturity that just happens over time as you get older you begin to realize different things but like you said you know really reflecting and going back it's like you know things were just simple yeah. you know it yeah. was um you know if you didn't have it i mean i would tell my kids like you know when i would go visit my grandmother for the summers we would go to the neighbors and borrow eggs cups
2: oh, of milk. yeah we did that yeah, know, we did that too right. and then you pay it back or you give them something
1: yes Exactly. So it's like, you know, it would be crazy for somebody to come over to your and knock on the door. Hey, can I have a cup of milk, you know, or a cup of sugar or, you know, but uh, that was just like normal stuff back then. right? Or or
2: even other stuff that I think of as a kid. Let's say I'm at a friend's house playing and the streetlights come on. It's getting dark. That mom would say, does your mother know where you are? Don't you need to get home? Or she might even call my mom and say, you know, Louie's over here. Does, you know there was that so village, village mentality and again this is this is across uh all different racial lines everything we, we were the neighborhood yeah uh, we did yeah <laughs> mhm
1: so true. Uh, it was like nobody needed an alarm clock. No. When those street
2: lights went on, That's, you better be going home. All okay? the kids knew, <laughs> all, all kids knew that. And even to the point, this is uh, another change, and I'm not going to say it's right or wrong, but I just even remember that we weren't allowed to call our neighbor, like my friends, who were the, my neighbors, their parents, everybody went by Mr. and Mrs. We didn't call any of our friends' absolutely. parents. Absolutely. I, I, I would have gotten smacked probably if my mom heard me call, you know, one of our neighbor. Parents by a first name
1: <laughs> More respect, I guess. I don't know <laughs> so true yes and you know that's what's so funny because that you know for me as a kid it's like wow we have a lot of family members because you know if you don't say Mr. or Mrs. it would be aunt or uncle you know some kind of way of respect mm-hmm. and so I yeah I totally get that That's the same for me too mm-hmm. Now, so switching gears, you're traveling the Mm. world, you know, um, and working with these high end Mm -hmm. organizations and the desire to be the best person that you can be. What do you think kind of happened or is it the result of maybe this traveling the world that has made you more conscious of being the best person that you? That's a great uh, question, Michelle. I
2: appreciate that. I would say the very, let me just go back, way back. I went to Catholic school all my life. So uh, I guess since a very early childhood, I had something instilled in me that to this day, I'll just say I'm not an atheist. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of what I believe and don't believe in all of that. But let's just say that since a very early age, I've always believed that there's a purpose. Some, this just didn't happen. <laughs> this just This just didn't come out of thin air. There had to be uh, some bigger plan to this, and I don't know what that is, but I've always had that in my mind. As I got to be 18 and I graduated from Catholic school, I've always been a risk taker, explorer, what are other people thinking, been very curious, and I started to question a lot of things. Um, And through the questioning and through the reading of books and exploring other paths and philosophies, et cetera, et cetera, probably around age 21 or 22, I guess I just came to the realization that this is for me, this is personally speaking for me again, someone else may have a different perspective for me. Life is just immaterial. It's just short. It's quick. And there's something deeper that matters and I'm onto it. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't, I can't explain it or put it into words, but I just know there's something deeper and I want to be tapped into that. I want to be tuned into that. And then when I, Kind of came to that realization. It wasn't a decision. It wasn't a conclusion. It was like a, a. It was like an aha moment, a realization. And another realization I had was okay. You know, with that came clarity about, I guess, more clarity about where my faults were. I was taking a, more a, examining my life, where I was, where I, where from where I had come, and where was I headed? And I think I've always been kind of a softy at heart. I've always been a very empathetic person. I'm kind of an empath. I tend to feel people's feelings. And so I started to reflect on myself. Where had I hurt people's feelings? Where had I had that sharp tongue that I thought I was being funny or sarcastic as a 19-year-old? But, man, I hurt somebody's feelings. And I started looking at all that. And then the next thing you know, I you know, met someone who handed me a book. It was all about self-improvement. This is when I was 22. I think it was called The Road Less Traveled. Mm. And I got into that. Yes, Oh well, I got Wayne into Dyer. that book. I think it was Wayne Dyer. Yeah, it was in mm-hmm. the 80s. And I got into that book and I went, oh, I'm on this road mm-hmm. and it's less traveled. But you know what? I have no other option. I'm, and here I am, how many years later, still working on myself. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I hope that answers the question. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, and so, you know, because see, a lot of people you know, there is some um, dramatic, but subtle changes that happen as a result of going on this journey Mm. of personal reflection. And so a lot of people hear about it. And, you know, for some of the listeners, they're like, yeah, you know, I've heard that before, but I just don't know how I start, you know, what maybe was something that prompted you to kind of, dig a little deeper. Because, you know, at first, it's like, well, society says we need to graduate from college, we need to get a good job, we need to do all the things and check all the boxes. And when we go on that journey, there's something else, like you said, something deeper. So, you know, what does that look like? What was it that happened? Were you um, noticing different things in your daily routine that kind of gave you that tap on the sure shoulder i'll i'll, I'll get
2: places. very real and personal with you and i'll answer that question i have questioned reality all my life since i was a teenager probably 12 or 13 in mm-hmm. catholic school i started exploring other religions just to see what was up and then to get personal with you i had to deal with my sexuality turns out i was a gay, a gay kid mm-hmm. who didn't even know he was gay trying to wrestle with with, with blossoming wow. uh Sexual or not, well, not sexual urges, but you know, when you're a teenager, you know what happens, right? How do I, how do I deal with this? Right, what is going on? Right. And I go to Catholic school. They're telling me I'm going to burn in hell forever for thinking this. So I began right. to question at a very early age wait a minute. Okay. This is not a choice that I made. This is something that's like kind of how I'm hardwired. Mm-hmm. The more I prayed, the more it didn't go mm-hmm. away. And so I begin to say, whoa, 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 hold on a second. You're telling me God is love, but yet he's going to send me to an eternal hellfire because of something I didn't choose or ask for. No, I don't think so. And then I just started questioning more and more, like, okay, wait a minute, society's telling me I'm supposed to get married, I'm supposed to have kids, I'm supposed to get a job, I'm supposed to be part of the big machine, I'm supposed to put my hand over my heart by this flag, what the hell does this flag mean anyway? What is this country anyway? And it, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And here's the conclusion I came to. And this is, I won't go into how I came to the conclusion, it was a realization or a conclusion, what have you, but the only thing that mattered to me was love. And I don't mean romantic love, I mean, However you want to describe it, brotherly love, sisterly love, uh, universal love, oneness love, whatever you want to call that higher transcendent love. That's all that mattered. And I wanted to do everything I could to manifest Mm. that. And that means I had a lot of work to do which is, brings us to where we are today. I'm still mm-hmm. asking myself all the time, is this getting me closer to love? Is what I said, is that bringing me closer to love? And when I thinking, is that bringing me closer to love? No, you've got fear here. You didn't say what you really meant. Or no, mm-hmm. you've got fear of uh, whatever it is and you thought you'd be funny and say something sarcastic, you hurt someone's feelings. Or you flat out lied because you wanted mm-hmm. something or who knows what it is. And that's, that's been my, my right. compass, I guess you could say. So that that's kind of, I hope that answered the question. That's yeah. kind of how it happened. I just...
1: Yeah, I and I appreciate that because I think, you know, a lot of people struggle with, um, You know, have you read the book? Uh, you before? mentioned it and
2: I did. Yes, I, I can't say I've read it, but I've peeked into it and I'm interested to know. More. Yes. Okay. I'm familiar. So,
1: you know, I think a lot of things as, um, okay. You uh, yes, I am. With- mm-hmm. Okay, something happened. It just came up here. You know, this technology gotta uh, love it. I hear you love it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you know, with that, it's like we have society like dictates what our life is supposed to look yeah. like, and it's kind of like this internal struggle between okay, I I'm feeling a different way, but society is saying I should be yes. this way, and you know that courage to step away from the expectation, yeah. you know, what was it you think that really got you to make that pivot? Because so many people are struggling even now, you know, we're like doing everything on the outside, wearing these masks and thinking that we are hiding this situation from other people, but inside we're just kind of like gradually allowing ourselves to die because that voice is telling us something different we're not allowing yeah
2: um well i'll I'll answer that question i want to share a little little more background mentioning that i come from uh, a mexican-american background my grandfather my dad's Mm -hmm. dad the one who walked across the border back in the day when you could do that um Mm -hmm. grandfather was named luis like me my dad is named Luis. So this is a tradition mm-hmm. that Latin Americans have. You name your kid after the dad and the grandfather and it goes on. And I was the first born male of the first born male. So there's in culturally speaking mm-hmm. in a Mexican culture, Latin American culture, a lot of responsibility comes with being the firstborn male, especially if you're carrying the family name. Mm-hmm. So my grandfather sat me down at a very young age, probably eight or nine and told me, I I kid you not, don't make the same mistake your father did by marrying a white woman, marry a Mexican woman like your father should have. She won't divorce you. And then you're going to name your first child, Luis, because you got to keep that going on. You were named Luis after me and so was your dad. So you got to keep that going on. And so I was uh fed if you will the cultural norms and the expectations right oh that was all fine until i got to be about 13 or 14 as i mentioned and then it became a burden and by the time i graduated from high school and i got to be about 21 i think my grandfather in his wisdom saw or read between the lines I don't know what he saw or read inside mm-hmm. one time and told me, I don't like what you're becoming. I don't like you, but I love you because you're my grandson. Now go get me a cup of coffee. And he died a couple of years after that. I have to say, I loved my grandfather mm-hmm. a lot. He was a big influence in my life and I have a lot of love for him. But when he died, I was freed up. I didn't have that guilt. I didn't have that mm-hmm. expectation to not disappoint him and marry and name my first kid, mm-hmm. Luis, and set the bloodline straight and all that. And that's when i started traveling my first trip to india was when i was 22. i left by myself Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think now that i look back i wouldn't call it an escape in the terms of running away from something but i would call it an escape but more in Mm -hmm. terms of getting out of my current environment that i can't see out of so that i can clear my head out and figure kind of out where my head's at if that makes any sense so i went to india for about four months yeah went to india for four months and came back and You know, kind of was on on my path, if you will. Like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I do. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I've been doing that ever since. Yeah. Some people don't like it. Some people applaud it and everything else in between. So I hope that answered the question.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Because I think, um, you know, these are some of the things that people really have questions about. You know, but we go to Mm -hmm. sleep, it keeps us up at night, it wakes us up in the middle of the night, you know, these questions and thoughts that we have, that we try to mask and not actually face at all. So I think that's uh, remarkable, you know, to be able to have that. So um, what is it that you do now, maybe in your daily routine that allows you the capacity to be your full self and reach a potential you know because you know it takes a practice you know I know with me I'm can't compare the same with me uh having depression but it just plagued me for 13 years and you know it's a constant work that I have to do to create the environment yeah. for me to thrive instead of just survive so what are some things that you do to kind of Keep you in that mindset moving forward, not uh, having a level of clarity that allows you to be able to discern what's important to you.
2: Another great question, Lashelle. Man, uh, I will admit, or I will uh, agree with you. Uh, I think you said it, it. I forgot what you how you said it. It's either it's it's work or it takes practice or something to that effect. And yes, that is the that is the case mm-hmm. with me. So. With my trip to India way back then that I just told you about, uh, I visited India many times since then. I lived there and I got very much into meditation. So first and foremost, since Mm -hmm. I was 22, probably 23, I've had uh, a practice of meditation. Now, there have been periods in the last 35 years where maybe I went months without it uh, and then got back into it. You know, there were ebbs and flows, shall we say. I would mm-hmm, say in the last mm-hmm. 10 years, I think maybe, you know how it is when you get older, your your priorities shift, you look at life a little differently and things maybe slow down a little bit, at least for me. And it, 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 it I realized, you know, my days are numbered. I mean, let's be real. We only have a certain amount of time here on the planet. And mm-hmm. if I'm mm-hmm. focused on things that aren't really important in terms of Long term, where's my consciousness at? Where's my heart at? Where, what is my state of mind going to be like when I die, if I die in the moment I, when that moment comes? And then that's when I realized, okay, I've got to dedicate. It can't just be, oh yeah, I meditate for 10 minutes. No, I've got to really focus on it. I've got to make time for it. I've got to schedule it. So, Lachelle, that's one component. Let's just say meditation. And that could be sometimes praying. It could be sometimes just sitting and being still. The typical idea of what people get in their mind when I mm-hmm. say meditation. could be singing. It could be any of that. Then there's also reading, mm-hmm. self-help books. I have certain authors, mm-hmm. uh, speakers, uh, gurus, if you will, that resonate with me. Mm-hmm. And it's not always 100%, but I'll take the 90% and leave the 10 And I I surround myself with that kind of stuff to keep me going, to keep me positive. And again, it is a it is a it is a it it takes work. And I'll give you a perfect example. It happened yesterday. Yesterday was one of the days. I don't know why. What happened yesterday? I don't know what it was. But yesterday I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like sitting to meditate. Mm. I wanted to sit on and turn the TV and watch something on YouTube. And then I wanted to eat some spaghetti. I just didn't feel like meditating. And then I had to have a, to have a talk with myself, which I do. I said to myself, okay, <laughs> you're complaining that you don't want to sit for 20 minutes. Some people don't even have the, the luxury to do that, the ability to do the facility to do that. You've been taught how to do it. People have taken time to show you. And you know, just like going to the gym, you're going to feel better when you do. So I had that little talk with myself and mm-hmm. I sat down last night. And of course, afterwards, I'm like, man, I'm so glad I did that. I'm grounded. My confusing thoughts have settled. I have an action plan for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And if it all blows up, today, it <laughs> won't matter because I'm feeling good right now in my own self, in my own satisfaction. Does that make sense?
1: <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. So much truth to Like going to the gym or, you know, doing these practices that, you know, we just get in our own way about ego thinking we are uh, stronger, smarter, whatever, you know, when we are able to be that way because of the disciplines that we practice and the minute we kind of feel like we're strong. We leave those disciplines and think we can go do it on our own. You know, it's like not knowing yep. how to swim, it's, and you have on a life jacket, and then you've been keeping this life jacket on, and then it's like, hey, I can do this. Take uh, off the life jacket. Sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. yeah right. So I totally get that, and I just love the fact that you know, it's we do go back and forth with this mindset that you know, we feel like we're strong enough to overcome these uh, parameters or guardrails or boundaries that we set up for ourselves, and they're designed to help us be
2: successful.
1: You know, so I really get that and resonate with that. So if somebody wants to get started with meditation, because this is a popular thing that a lot of people talk about, um, what suggestion would you give them? You know in order to start it or you know what what type of process should someone follow to kind of incorporate that in their daily routine
2: um well i don't want to point any particular group or religion or teacher or anything like that out to anybody but i'll just share from my experience how it worked for me and how i've heard other people Uh, describe it for them Uh, first of all for a lot of people including me especially in the early days very very difficult to sit and still one's mind try that it's so difficult Mm -hmm. right so that kind of meditation Mm -hmm. can often frustrate people uh and then they give up because it's just so hard to do they sit for five minutes and their minds are racing and they can't still it and so that's difficult for some people what i started with was chanting so for me the ease not the mm-hmm. easy but uh, what worked for me was chanting which is basically singing the names of god in repetition whatever names, mm-hmm. whatever names you claim. now my my came from india so it was an indian chant and i began to chant and then i liked mm-hmm. it and and it stilled my mind and i was focusing on you know what i perceived as god and it worked and i've been doing it ever since and then later that's when i started to realize okay you just need to try what you can to discipline yourself, to still the mind. Because even sometimes I just want to be still. I just want to be still. And the busier I got with work and with travel and all of that, the more it became an imperative that at the end of the day, it's like, I don't want anything. I don't want any noise. I don't want TV. I don't want music. I need to sit and be still. And once I got to that point and I started I guess looking at YouTube videos and reading up on actual meditation practices and ways to start out, then I just set myself a time. And I just said, just meditate for five minutes. Five minutes became 10, 10 became 15 and became 20. Mm -hmm. So in order to suggest to someone where they might start, where they might begin, I would say start there. If your mind is able to be still and you want to practice just sitting and breathing, watching your breath, and letting the thoughts just flow through you without holding on to them and running with them. Try that. Uh, I would also recommend uh, just doing some exploration, perhaps on YouTube or on the internet, to try. There's so many practices out there, and I don't think that there's a one size fits all. And personally, I don't believe there's only one right one right way, one right path to to God or self realization or whatever it is. Uh, so I would start there. I would start seeing if you can sit and breathe and watch your breath. And if you're very, very restless, then look into 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 chanting or what they call mantra, M-A-N-T-R-A, mantra meditation. Mm.
1: Okay, very good. I think this is so key and important. Mm. Yeah, because so many people, you know, right now it is a time to get yourself still. You know, for what whatever that looks like, because so many people are in rapid transition. Yeah. You know, be it yeah. the industry you're in, or families changing. Um, you know, a lot of things that you're used to happening, even just the mourning process of a typical funeral. Everything right. now, different. You know, you may you know look at this home going actually being side by side with your loved ones so so many Mm -hmm. we have to consider that you know meditation can be a powerful this so i have just really enjoyed this that you have with the audience what is the best way for the audience to get a hold of you
2: Best way to get a hold of me uh, would be probably through my LinkedIn profile. I don't know if many people have a LinkedIn profile, at your listening audience, but uh, mm-hmm. it's link, LinkedIn.com slash Luis Gonzalez with an S on the end, L-U-I-S-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-S.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, right. and I we can start the conversation there. I'm not very active on Facebook. Uh, I would say I'm sorry mm-hmm. I'm not, but I'm not. Not very active on, on Facebook. <laughs> hey,
1: but I am you know there. what? That's probably one of the things that's probably something that keeps you a little bit more sane, okay? Because I'm telling you, once you get on this platform, then you get on that one, and that one is yeah. like half your day is
2: just doing posts on these platforms. The next thing you know, you're trying to get out. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, LinkedIn would be the best way. That's where I established my network, even even though it's a professional uh, site. uh, It's good to just make Mm -hmm. human connections there as well. We can talk about all kinds of stuff and make connections on things other than business.
1: Absolutely. Okay. And then what final words would you like to share with the audience?
2: Wow. Final words. Wow. This is a good one. Listen to your heart. <laughs> the answers are there. That just came to me now because that's that's what works for me. When I get too much in my head and things are going on and I need to move left or right or make decisions or any of that, after a while I have to shut off the brain and I have to go deep in my heart, and the answer lies there. So I that's that's my last word to anybody. At the end of the day, it's all, it's all about the heart. That's
0: so good.
1: I love that. And um, I appreciate, again, everything that you have shared with the audience and uh, great words of wisdom and looking forward to us collaborating again in the future.
2: I appreciate it, Michelle. It was a pleasure. And thank you for having me on your show. I really enjoyed it.
1: Oh, you are so welcome. And I'll be in touch soon, okay?
2: That sounds good. Thank you, Michelle. Have a good rest awesome. of the evening.
1: You're welcome. You too.
2: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh,
0: Thank you for joining me on this episode. I really enjoy providing content that inspires and challenges us to be a better version of ourselves. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, please email me at info at You can also reach out to me on Facebook. LinkedIn, Instagram, Pinterest, or my YouTube channel. If there was something in this episode that resonated with you, it it probably will resonate with someone else. So please share it. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. But those aha moments, those moments of really getting something and changing your perspective are very, very pivotal In having people um, change the trajectory of their lives. And so being able to share insightful information so that other people can grow is the easiest thing that we can do as we pay it forward. So again, I want to thank you all for listening. And if you have time, write out a review. Go to iTunes, Anchor, uh, wherever you can... um, find this podcast on any of those platforms and write a review about um, what impact this episode uh, had on you, what you learned or whatever. Um, Any feedback is great because it just helps me to understand what content is really beneficial for those that are listening. So again, I want to thank you all for your support and taking the time to spend some time with me and my guests. And I wish you a wonderful day. Thanks for listening.